Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning I want to share with you about genuine faith. This will be lesson number two. I started uh, Wednesday, lesson number one, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together to study your word this morning. We study it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to anoint our ears to hear it accurately, our hearts to receive it, our minds to be open to it. We ask that you change us by what we hear from glory to glory. Conform us to the very image of Jesus that we might become that for which he shed his blood and apprehended each and every one of us. That we might shine as lights in the world of darkness and hold forth the word of life to this generation that you've called us to reach with the life-changing truths of the gospel. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost. And I thank you for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim truth with power and demonstration that will penetrate our very hearts and souls and challenge each and every one of us to rise up to higher places in you. Be glorified in all that's said and done. We'll give you all the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Before I get into our review this morning, you might want to look up a book, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 5 that tells us there's in that chapter, a purpose for everything and every season under the sun. And in verse 5, it talks about how there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Who would have thought so many years ago when that was penned by the Holy Ghost that it would impact what we're doing today? There's a time for us to embrace and a time for us not to embrace. I never thought that it would be because of COVID-19. But once again, we just want to touch base with you and make sure that you're all doing well. And that your every need is met. And we're looking forward to the day we can get together and really have a wonderful time in the Lord as a church family and body once again. Now also, what I would normally do the week after Easter or the Resurrection Day is share with you from uh, the book of Hebrews on the text where Jesus experienced his coronation. Yes, he suffered and died. And he was raised up from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and over the grave. But it's also true that he was given a position high above any other angelic being. And he is considered better in the book of Hebrews than anything that's ever happened in the Old Testament, including all the patriarchs of old, better than Abraham, uh, Moses, better than the temple, and so on. But then also he was uh, given the scepter of righteousness, which is the scepter of his kingdom. And there's so much to be uh, taught from that and to be learned from that about the resurrection of Christ and also the accomplishments and achievements which we call the finished work of Christ upon Calvary's cross. But we'll talk about that at a later time. But thank God 
He's alive and well, and thank God he's resurrected, and thank God he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, where he has a name above every other name, that at the mention of that name every knee shall bow of things or beings in heaven, earth, or beneath the earth. Praise God, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, and no one else, no other being, whoever was, is, or ever will be, can have that title. So we thank God for our wonderful Lord. Now, in a quick review of what we talked about already, talking about genuine faith, which is very important at this time. And to be honest with you, I believe that we've been uh, basically prepared for this because the entire year I've been talking about faith in both services, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And who would have thought how important it is for us to really use our faith today when we're facing uh, the virus that we're facing here at this hour. I shared on Wednesday night the testimony of John G. Lake who was a missionary to South Africa and spent many years there. And during the time of his stay there, the bubonic plague broke out. And when it broke out, many people began to die, just like we've heard about this virus here today. Well, Brother Lake was the one who was taking care of the sick and also burying the dead. And so the British, they sent down a ship with, um, they had some supplies, medical supplies, and also a team of doctors to come and help out during this particular trying time. But they asked Brother Lake, how is it that he didn't contract the disease, the uh, plague? And he quoted a verse, Romans 8 and verse 2, and look at what it says. His answer was, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And he did an experiment, and he had them put some of the foam that came out of the people's mouths who had died under a microscope, and they saw live germs and bacteria. But he said, put it on his fingers. When he put it on his fingers and hands, stuck them out of the microphone, they all died. He said, that's the law of life. And he was so proficient in operating in the law of life that when those germs touched his body, they died. And it's wonderful to see someone that can achieve such a high position of faith and understanding of the finished work of Christ and what it meant to have the Holy Ghost in him, quickening his mortal body. But we also talked about how that you can't use that like many people have used that to say, well, this is what we should be doing today. We should be having church. Everybody should be at that place. But the point I made is that not everybody's at that place or at that level of faith. And so as a result, if we put ourselves in that kind of a position and people are not at that level of faith, it could be detrimental and we could become an agent of death. And we don't want to do that for anyone. We also compared it to the crossing of the Red Sea when the Egyptians basically tried to imitate the faith of the Israelites and when they tried to walk across the sea, as the Israelites did, they all perished. Why? Because the Israelites operated in faith because they had the word of God. But the Egyptians didn't have the word of God. They operated in foolishness or presumption. As a result, they all lost their lives. Then we talked about Bishop uh, Glenn, Gerald Glenn, from uh, Virginia, near the Richmond area of Virginia, who refused to stop church and stop their meetings. And his quote basically was this, I'll stop when I'm in jail or in the hospital. Well, that was in March. He contracted COVID-19, and then on April the 11th, he passed from this life and is with the Lord right now. But also, his wife contracted it, his three children contracted it, and so did his son-in-law. And I'm sure during the church services, when they were all gathering together, I'm sure shaking hands with the pastor as, he, as they left the church, how many more other people now were exposed to it? And so once again, we don't want to be foolish and we don't want to do things that are contrary to what we're being asked to do. Why? Well, because foolishness and presumption is not faith. And not everybody is at the high level of faith that Brother Lake was. There was another testimony about Brother Hagen, how he was raised off the bed of affliction. 
But of course, the point is, he studied the Word of God as he was lying there on that bed. He meditated the Word of God. He had interaction with the Father. He had intimacy with Him. And he got to a place where he operated in his faith and did exactly what the Spirit of God told him to do, to be healed. And he rose up off the bed. Another man who had a very serious condition, was told to stay bedfast until he became stronger. And rather than do what the doctors told him to do, what he did was said, well, if Brother Hagen can get up out of bed, so can I. And he got up, walked a few steps, and died. That's called foolishness and presumption. That's not genuine faith. And we don't want to be a people that walk in foolishness or presumption. We want to be people that walk in genuine faith. And if your faith is out there, you can walk in the fullness of it, then praise God. That's a wonderful thing. But we went on to say that as leaders, we are to consider the weak rather than the strong. And we gave the example of Esau and Jacob and how Esau said as they traveled, let's travel at this rate of speed, at this pace. But Jacob said, Esau, remember, we've got young children with us. We've got uh, the animals that are just born that are young as well. It's impossible for us to keep that pace that you want. You go ahead and go ahead of us. We'll come slowly behind you, and we'll see you eventually at some point. And so the point was this. In Romans 14 and 15, we are told we are to consider those that are weaker. We're to consider those that are, let's say, most vulnerable. And so we want to be mindful of that and be people that use wisdom as well as our spiritual faith and understanding of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, having said all that, I want to continue on our study, and I want us to go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and in this chapter we see Jesus, after he came out of the water of baptism, being led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And we want to sh share with you some points that will help us better understand our need to walk in genuine faith and not foolishness or presumption. Jesus was tempted in all three realms of human life, but yet he overcame in every realm. Why? Because he knew what was written. Let's read it. First of all, he was challenged or tempted in the physical realm. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine that. Fasting that long. He was afterward in hunger. And they say after 40 days you really do get hungry. And he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God. Notice, he is basically challenging his identity. The Father just said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The devil comes along and says, Well, if you are the Son of God, well, then what you can do is command that these stones be made bread, because you're really hungry. You really need it. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. How important are those three words? So important that each and every one of us should really know what is written. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There is no question but that this temptation was legitimate. Jesus was very hungry at that time. And imagine yourself being hungry. Sometimes I think we use the term, I'm starving, I'm starving to death. And really, we've only missed a meal, if possibly two. But still, we're starving. But really, we're not starving, we're just hungry. Jesus, after 40 days and 40 nights, 
I'm sure that was a supernatural fast because you couldn't live that long without water and, and so on. But even though it was a supernatural fast, he was a hungered, which means he was extremely hungry. And so the attack is in the physical realm. And it's no different for any of us, whether it's the attack of COVID-19, if it's an attack of hunger, if it's an attack in the physical realm in any possible way, we know that we're vulnerable because we're still in this fallen flesh. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus works in our spirit. The law of sin and death operates in our flesh. The higher law can overcome the lower law. And Jesus proved that to be true. But because Jesus knew what was, what was written, he rebuked the devil. He used the word of God to stand against the temptation to, to yield to hunger. He refused to yield to hunger using the word of God. And he overcame that first physical temptation in his flesh. Secondly, we see in verses 5 through 7, another temptation took place in the mental or what we call the soulish realm. You know, man's a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. Tripart being. Spirit and soul cannot be separated, only for distinction. We can depart from the body and leave it behind because that's our earth suit. It'll be glorified someday. But temptations coming in spirit, soul, and body, all three dimensions of man. Here's the second one. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God. Notice he continues to do what? Challenge his identity. Is that who you are? You know, we can all be challenged in that area of our lives. Our identity. Who are we? Are we who we are in the flesh? Or are we who we are in the spirit? In Christ, in who he has made us, his masterpiece, and so on. And of course, he would want us to see ourselves as he sees us, children of the Most High God. Not realizing that, you know, if we just look at the flesh, we're going to be overcome and be defeated. But we need to see who we are in the spirit, not in the flesh. He said to him, if you're the son of God, then cast yourself down. Now notice this. The boldness of this enemy. It is written Again, you think the devil doesn't know scripture? He knows scripture. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him again, it is written. Notice the enemy uses it as written to challenge Jesus to confuse him mentally in the soulish realm. But Jesus, once again, counters what he said with it is written. He shall give his angels charge yet, but thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, you can't be foolish. You can't be presumptuous and do something, even though you know that God said that he would do this. But you don't step out and do it foolishly or presumptuously without knowing the whole context of Scripture. And so what he was saying was this. Oh, the angels are there and they said that, they would bear me up. But you know what? That doesn't mean I should throw myself down to tempt God. I remember hearing a story years ago. I read about this story where a young man was in the armed forces flying in a helicopter with uh, other men. And he was shot down. They were shot down by enemy fire. And as the helicopter began to descend, being a Christian, he quoted the 91st Psalm and said, Remember, Lord, this is what you said you would do for me. And he started quoting the 91st Psalm. 
by the time he got through that psalm, he found himself in the fields on his knees, continuing to quote that verse, those verses of Scripture in Psalm 91, and he saw at a distance the helicopter crash. Everybody else died. The man believed the angels had charge over him to bear him up in their hands lest he dash his foot against a stone. An amazing miracle took place of translocation as a result of this man's personal faith in God and in the integrity of God and believing in the integrity of God. What an amazing story. And many of those exist today. But Jesus wasn't buying it. He wasn't saying, I'm going to throw myself down just so I can prove that God will be true. He understood what the challenge was. He knew the temptation. And he refused to give in to it. Then we have the third challenge, and that's in the spiritual realm. And look at verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. Now notice again, this is Jesus. He's teaching us how to stand against the temptations of the devil. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now notice this. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. There are those angels. There are the angels that Satan said, they'll bear you up in your hands. You see, at the right time, they came. Jesus withstood all three temptations, and it's important to know this. Some say they weren't really temptations. They were temptations, or it wouldn't have said that. They were legitimate temptations, meaning the devil was given authority, and there's some things he said he thought he could do and would do. It was a legitimate temptation, but Jesus wasn't buying any of it. He understood the whole counsel of God. He knew how to counteract whatever the devil was saying with the right verses of Scripture. And we need to have that same understanding of the Word of God. To know what God had said so that we can use the same verses or same Scriptures or the same method. It is written. Get thee behind me. Every time we're challenged, whether it's in spirit, soul, or body, it should be, it is written. I'm victorious because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, Look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and verse 16. Being foolish or presumptuous is tempting God. And we do not want to tempt God in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you have tempted him in Massa and also Meribah. They also always tempted the Lord in the wilderness, complaining about their plight were unsatisfied and displeased with what they were experiencing and going through in life and so they constantly tempted the lord by making foolish statements so foolishness and presumption are not faith faith is genuine when a person has in his heart a re revelation of not just of what the scripture says but a revelation of the love of god the care of god the concern of god knowing the integrity of god the righteousness of God, understanding who you are in Christ and what he's made you in his redemptive plan. It's understanding that we draw close to him, that he can draw close to us. It's understanding that we build by the Holy Spirit, the word of God into our hearts, line upon line, 
precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, brick by brick, we build up a stronghold for God in our hearts and in our minds. How? Through the meditation of the Word of God. As God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Jesus had good success because he knew the word of God and used it accurately and correctly. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 19 and give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. People that are acting foolishly or imitating someone else's faith and they're not going to get the results they're looking for because they're tempting God and being foolish. Acts chapter 19 verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over that them which had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches and there were seven sons one of Sceva a Jew and the chief of the priests which did so and the evil spirit answered and said Jesus I know and Paul I know but who in the world are you and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before the men, all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Notice the story. These particular exorcists thought that they could do what Paul was doing. But you see, the problem was they didn't have the relationship with God and Jesus as Paul did. You remember his conversion on the Damascus Road? How he saw Jesus? And from that point on developed an intimate relationship with him? How Jesus taught him all about his redemptive work and all that he did for us in, in redemption? His finished work? And that's why we have what is called the Pauline epistles that reveal to us things that even the other disciples and apostles that were with him did not understand. Even Peter says some of the things that Paul preaches are hard to understand. Why? Because Jesus revealed certain truths to him that they didn't know about. Calling him to be a minister of the gospel. To reach out to the Gentiles and preach the truth of his finished work. And that's why it's important that we as a church look to the Pauline epistles and study them more than anything else. But getting back to these particular individuals, these exorcists. They had no right to use the name of Jesus. They're not a part of the covenant, the blood covenant, the new covenant. They haven't accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. But they're trying to use that name basically to imitate what Paul was doing. And what happened? The devil didn't recognize him. Oh, he recognized Paul, all right, because Paul knew Jesus. He recognized the name of Jesus and its power because he had to submit to it. But he did not recognize the fact that these exorcists had any right whatsoever to use that name to transact any business for God upon the planet. And the man jumped on them, beat them all up, stripped them all naked, and they went running down the road. So that was foolish. That was 
fictitious faith trying to borrow someone else's faith. At a time like this, be honest with ourselves. Where is my faith? How active is my faith? How genuine is my faith? Am I just copying somebody else's faith? Or am I standing in faith for myself? And you know what, beloved? When we hear medical personnel professionals and say there's no cure for a virus or something like that, it should drive us to our knees so that we can study God's word, find out about his healing powers, the redemption that we have in him, learn the power of the name of Jesus, because there's always going to come a time in all of our lives when we stand before the Red Sea and we have no time to build a bridge, a boat, an airplane, a helicopter, or anything of that nature to get to the other side and free from our enemy. So in other words, when we face the troubled waters of human life and we need the power of God, we must be prepared. Building faith into our hearts, knowing what belongs to us, standing firm in our conviction, and using every spiritual force and means, as well as the natural and the medical, to stand against an enemy. And so it's important that we do that. Look at these verses in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's talking to his disciples. Then he says, He that believeth and is baptized, he's talking now about people that will listen to the preaching of the gospel. These are others. Shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. He's talking to his disciples about others who believe. Well, what signs will follow them that believe? In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Those are the five signs he said connected to his name that would manifest in the lives of all believers, not just apostles, all that believe on his name, he said. Well, these verses have been misused. And as a result of misuse and misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying, cost many individuals their personal lives. As a matter of fact, as I was uh, looking over some of these things, I came across a man who was a pastor. His name, Jamie Coots. And he was a Pentecostal pastor and a Pentecostal snake handler. And if you've never seen any of this, I'll tell you what, it's beyond my comprehension. But he took those verses of Scripture and said, they shall take up serpents. So he decided to have a church of snake handling to prove to people that as a Christian, you got power over rattlesnakes and other venomous beasts. So during a worship service, they just began to play some lively Pentecostal music and proceed to pull out many rattlesnakes from a basket that they had on the platform. And he would walk around parading the snakes, sometimes two or three in the hand at one time, just walking around the platform, shouting and praising and rejoicing, and I guess somehow impressing all the people that were there that we can handle snakes. Well, on one occasion, the rattlesnake bit his hand. He threw it down on the platform only to pick it up again to show the people, I've got power over rattlesnakes. But you see, they saw his faith wasn't working. And basically, it was foolishness or presumption 
that wasn't working because it wasn't genuine faith. It's in the wrong context of what Jesus said. They ushered him to the hospital where he died from the serpent's bite. Needlessly, a man of God ends his ministry too soon because he tried to prove to people, I've got this kind of faith based on what Jesus said. How many of you know that Jesus, before saying, in my name, you can take up serpents, said, preach the gospel everywhere you go. Here's the scenario that could be different. If you were out there somewhere in the villages of Africa and you were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were there on that mission and happened to get bit by a snake, you can at that point claim immunity and say in the name of Jesus that, that poison has no power over me. As Paul did. If you recall what Paul did when he was gathering sticks and putting them on the fire and when he gathered the sticks, a serpent, a venomous beast that the Tribal people there knew to be very deadly, bit him on the arm or the wrist or the hand. And all he did was shake it off. I call that the original snake and shake. He just shook it off right there. And what about his business? And the people were there. What were they doing? They were looking at him, waiting for him to fall over dead because it doesn't take long with that serpent's bite. Well, guess what? Didn't fall over dead. Continued on preaching. Continued on doing his thing. Prayed for the people that were there. Prayed for the leader that was there. They all got healed. Then they thought, this isn't a criminal. This guy's a god. My goodness, look, it had no power over him. What's the difference between the two scenarios? One is playing with a snake foolishly. The other one's doing the work of the Lord and accidentally bit. Didn't intend to have it happen. He shook it off and praise God he's well. Because of the power of the name of Jesus. This other guy, he's lost his life. Why? He was operating in foolishness. And what about this one? There's a pastor in Zimbabwe. And I don't know why these pastors think this way. But he told his congregation and saints of God, I know your pictures are here. You're looking at me. If I ever say anything like this, call me on the carpet, all right? He told his fellowship congregation that he was going to prove that he can walk on water just like Jesus walked on water. He'd be going to spend a time of fasting and prayer and just wait upon the Lord until this time came that he really felt in his heart, I'm going to prove that I can walk on water. So he got to the river and all the congregation was there watching him. He began to wait out about 10, 20, 30 feet. And he says, when I get out there about 30 feet, you're going to watch me rise up on the water and walk across the water there was a problem there were three hungry crocodiles right where he was at and instead of walking across he was lunch and lost his life to three hungry crocodiles now imagine that degree of foolishness to think that he had to somehow prove to his congregation that he had supernatural power to walk on water. To prove a point. That's foolishness. That's presumption. That is not genuine faith. He lost his life. They lost their leader. They mourned his loss. And imagine the work of God suffered at that point. Because of what he did. Next we have four Korean girls. 
For some reason, I don't know why people have this fetish that they're going to walk on water. But they actually thought that they could walk on water just like Jesus did. Just like Peter did and then failed. And they drowned. They lost their lives. You know, I'm thinking about you go back in the 1970s when you had this revival that took place in Indonesia. In Indonesia, this team was sent by God to reach the villages round about with the life-changing truths of the gospel. And you know what? Every miracle we hear of in the Bible, they experience. But you know what the difference is? The pastor, these Korean girls were acting foolishly because they were not preaching the gospel and they were not sent out by God to do what they were doing. That's what gives Christianity a bad name. And that's why they say there's a fine line between Christian and crazy. So, it's important that we recognize that we don't have to prove God's word to be true. God can prove his word. They went forth and preached everywhere and the Lord confirmed the word with signs following because where they were going, they were on a mission. In Indonesia, you talk about a great mission, a mighty work. They actually did these things. They went out during the monsoon raining season and they went to villages and guess how this sign took place so they could reach the people with the life-changing truths of the gospel. You know what they did? They went out in the monsoon and as they began to proceed to go to the village, they had an visible umbrella over them. Listen to this. They were protected from the rain. They were dry. And they walked every step on dry ground. When they got to the villages, they were seen there standing there with no rain on them. They were dry. And where they were standing was dry ground. And every step they took was dry ground. And all the villagers marveled at what they saw. Guess what? They preached the gospel. Signs took place. Wonders took place. And I can go on about this in Indonesian revival and share with you every biblical example took place in the communities around those people. Why? The difference is, they weren't going there to show off. They were going there to obey God. God wanted to reach those people. And it took those signs to do it, and they did. They even raised the dead in the Indonesian revival. Read the book, Like a Mighty Wind, that took place in the early 70s. It'll bless your heart. Then we have another one. This man is a prophet, supposedly a spirit-filled believer who was on an African safari with his church members once again. Well, he wanted to show the members that he had power over the animal kingdom. Take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you, and so on. So once again, a misuse of scripture, what he does is he leaves the vehicle and he runs toward a pride of lions that are feasting on an impala. Viewing him as prey, they chased after him. Took a little bit of while, maybe a little while, but he realized that mm, there's no divine intervention taking place here. So he raced back to the vehicle. In the process, one lion caught up to him and bit him on the seat of learning. We might call that the buttocks. He jumped into the vehicle only because the ranger there shot his gun in the air and scared off all the lions. So the ranger really saved his life. Here is what he said, and it's a quote, so I want to read it to you. I don't know what came over me. Well, neither do I. I thought the Lord wanted 
me to show his power over animals. He goes on to say, is it not we were given dominion over all the creatures of the earth? Yes. But, once again, out of context, that is foolishness, that is presumption, that is tempting and testing God. He wasn't preaching the gospel. He's trying to show off. Jesus didn't show off. Jesus never showed off. As a matter of fact, whatever he did, he said, don't tell anybody what I did. No matter what it was. So it's important that we understand the point is this. Don't be foolish. Don't be presumptuous. Recognize your level of faith. This is a time. There's not a whole lot we can do. There's no place we can go. Get your Bible out. Meditate the Word of God. Study the subject of healing, particularly in faith. Learn how to apply the principles of God's Word to your life in a powerful way. Learn how to operate in spiritual gifts and operations. God can use you to bless somebody else. Take the time to develop intimacy with God. Learn your redemptive rights. Find out who you are in Christ and become a blessing. Next thing I want to bring out is this. Faith is not foolishness. It's not presumption. But sometimes what looks foolish can actually be genuine faith. And this is where the difficulty lies. How many of you remember the story of David before Goliath? Remember that? Remember how all the Israeli army thought David is foolish? Remember how his brothers were basically jealous of him and thought, what a fool he's being, presumptuous. Who does he think he is? When finally he got to king, to the king, King Saul, king said, you're just a kid. He's a warrior from his youth. You're so little and scrawny. He's huge and monstrous. His spearhead weighs more than you. You can't fight this man. And what did David say? The Lord that delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and bear will deliver him into my hand. What does Saul do? Okay, foolish young man, here's my armor. And what does David say? I can't wear that. You see how we always try to come up with something in the natural? How our thinking is, our reasoning is. They thought he's acting irrational. Foolish. But you know what? David knew his God. When David stood before Goliath and even he spewed out venom from his mouth, what did David say? You come at me with a sword and a spear and shield. I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, who this day will deliver you into my hand. And we'll feed your carcasses to the fowls of the air, all the Philistines. And that was it. Game on. And what happened? David was right. He defeated the giants, the lions, and the bears. Three NFL teams that will never be the same. Then, what about marching around Jericho's walls? Think about it. Walking around Jericho's walls. How foolish is that? I remember with my children, Dante's here, watching VeggieTales. VeggieTales having all these stories, biblical stories, to educate young people about the Bible and the things that people did. And I'll never forget how all those soldiers up there on the walls of Jericho were throwing down snow cones on the people below, on the Israelites below, to try to intimidate them, I guess, and so on. 
It seemed foolish to them. They're walking around. Genuine faith may look foolish at times, but I'm telling you, when God is in it, you got it made. And so they walked around like God said. They were following the word of God, the direction of God. They were doing what God told them to do at that time for that season, for that situation. And guess what? On the seventh day, on the seventh time, when they blew the shofar and the ram's horn, and when they just began to shout at the top of their lungs, all the walls came down. They were defeated. It looked illogical. It looked foolish. It looked irrational. It looked presumptuous. But not when God is in it. Hallelujah. And then what about... Sending praisers out to do battle in the days of Jehoshaphat. I know these three armies are coming against us. They want to wipe us off the planet. We're no match for them. There's nothing that we can do. But guess what? Jehoshaphat called for a fast. He got the people of God together. The wives, the children, everybody together and said, look, this is it. Almost like what we're seeing right now. If you listen to the media, my goodness, we're in a bad way, in a bad place. This, this thing's going to overrun us and overtake us and all that. But I believe if I, I've read or heard somewhere that people are probably in the 99% recovering from this thing, but there's a lot of fear out there. Well, Jehoshaphat gets direction from the Lord as God spoke through a genuine prophet and said, you don't have to fight in this battle. The battle's not yours. It is the Lord's. Send out the praisers. Worship my name. And guess what happened? All the armies were confounded. All the armies were defeated. The Israelites prevailed. God can do what man cannot do. We cannot put our, all our eggs in one basket and just believe what we could do naturally, believe what we can do medically. We've got to go beyond that and realize there is a power that's greater than all forces and all powers in this earth. The power of God is greater than it all. And we have the privilege of tapping into it, praise God, because of the work of Christ. We become sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus said, the works I do, you will do also. And greater than these will you do, because I have gone to my Father. What about this one? Dipping in the river Jordan seven times will recover your leprosy, Naaman was told. Naaman says, uh-uh. There wasn't enough pomp and circumstance when I came to visit you, prophet of God. No way. I'm not going to dip in this muddy river Jordan. I'm going to go back where I came from. I've got two rivers that are cleaner, better than this. You could have told me to stay there and dip seven times and I would have done that. What's the point here? The man is so full of pride, he wants to have it his own way. Well, listen to do it God's way. When you don't do it God's way, guess what? You don't get God's results or God's power. So he walked away in a huff, rejecting the direction of the Lord. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of the sinner, or sits in the seat of the scornful. He has delights in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that will bring forth his fruit in the season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Well, he wasn't doing any of that. He wasn't following what God said. Took a lowly servant to tell the man, if he told you to do something noble, you would have done it. How hard is it to dip in the river seven times? See, it seemed foolish to him, ridiculous to him, illogical, irrational to him. But you know what? When he finally came to his senses, he did what God said to do. He dipped seven times. Every dip was a layer of pride removed from his life. He came out with no leprosy. 
See, we could be very stubborn and hard-headed when it comes to doing what God tells us to do. But that was a time when something that looked foolish was really ending up in genuine faith. Then you got the fellow who was blind. Jesus spit in the ground, made clay of the spittle, put it on his eyes and said, Now you go wash in the pool of Siloam. Whoever thought by washing in the pool of Siloam, mud off your eyes would cause you to be able to see. I guarantee you, you're not going to dip in this Ohio River seven times and come out healed. You're not going to wash in a pool of Siloam because someone else did and come back seeing. The point is genuine faith finds its roots in God. Grounded in what God said, doing what God said to do for your given situation at the right time. And that's how faith works. When we were told our son won't live, I'll tell you what, that was not a time to go find a Bible verse. When we were told our son that was born the way he was cannot survive, it was not time to go find a Bible verse. We were well equipped, well informed, and well ready to face the battle that was sure to rage. Well, you know what? He's alive and well, and he's 18 years old, got a creative miracle. Not because we had a scurry to find a scripture at that time, but because we knew the word of God, we hid it in our heart, and we acted on it when we needed to. And through genuine faith in God, who gave a mandate and said, just believe, no matter what you hear, just believe. And that's why he's alive today. This last one, in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, look at verse 5 through 13. This is the Roman centurion. This man's faith, we can follow. We can imitate it. Because it's built and based upon the word of God. He just got done healing a leper with compassion. And now, Jesus was entering into Capernaum. There came a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lie at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Notice, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, No, Lord, Lord, I'm not worthy, a humble man, that thou shouldest come under my roof. Speak but the word only, and my servant shall be healed. From a man under authority, having soldier under me, I say to this man, go, and he goes, it's another come, and he comes, and this man do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to, the, to them that followed, Verily or truly I say to you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Remember, this man is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way as thou hast believed. Notice, as you believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. What do we see here? We see a man that first of all was humble. We see a man that heard about the healing ministry of Jesus. We see a man who was caring about his servant who has the palsy, grievously tormented. And because he had compassion toward this man, even though he was in a position of authority and power, he knew his limitations. He knew there was no help for him in the natural world. No help from him in the medical world. The only place he could find the help that was necessary to get this person free was found in Jesus. He humbled himself. He went to him. He was also considered a Jesus. You don't have to come all the way where I live. It's a long journey. Just speak the word. And my servant shall be healed. Jesus marveled at that kind of faith that came from a Gentile who had really no means by which to develop faith because he wasn't of the Abrahamic covenant. But yet, you know what? He knew authority. He understood Jesus' authority. And he appealed to that and said, just speak the word. 
you know what? We should ask the Lord daily, what's your word for me today? Go to our Bible, study it, find it out. What do you want me to do in this given situation? And let me close with these two verses here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Jesus is the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. In other words, if he doesn't authorize it, he's not obligated to finish it or perfect it. If he didn't tell Peter, jump out of the boat or come, Peter would have had no reason to jump out of that boat and try to walk on water. It was only when he heard the word, the mandate, come, could he, faith in faith, jump out of the boat. Otherwise, he would have just gone straight down and died. In Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We all have a race to run. Every one of us has a race to run, whether there's COVID-19 or not. We all have a race to run, a course to finish, faith to keep. But now notice how he says to run it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He authorizes it. He finishes it or perfects it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to him. Our eyes should be on him. Looking to him. Absorbing from him with a steady absorbing gaze. All that he is. All that he represents. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. We do what he tells us to do. So in other words, whatever our situation might be, Listen to what he says and do it. And that's your foundation for faith. I'm sure he didn't tell that man, jump out of this vehicle and go try to run down those lions and prove to people you got power over lions. He never told the snake handler, pull out these rattlesnakes and play with them so you can prove to all these people how strong your faith is. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't believe he told the Korean girls to walk on water. I don't believe he told that pastor to walk on water and be eaten by crocodiles. That's foolishness. That's presumption. Take every precaution. Keep yourself safe. See to it that you comply to what's being asked. We're going to do that as a church. We're going to get back together someday. And when we do, the roof is coming off this building. And the glory of God is going to manifest among us. In the meantime, be a witness Learn more about the Word of God. Build up your personal faith in God. Face every challenge with the Word and be like Jesus. It is written. It is written. It is written. Spirit, soul, and body and overcome.